This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett, CSW. I am Megan, Vinny Vitti Drinky. You always sound so unexcited when you introduce yourself. I'm sorry, I just feel weird. Why? I'm not drunk enough to get all like, Wee! Well, fix that. And I am James William McNew. Enough said. He also doesn't sound super excited. True. Huh. But he doesn't react the same way I do, that you do, when uh, I, was just I call him out on it. trying to sound laid back and erudite. So what we've got here tonight is Minnesota. Minnesota. We are drinking here. The 2017 Voyageur from Alexis Bailey Vineyard, uh, which is actually the oldest still operational vineyard in uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> the puff was that just the. Oh, behold the firepower of this fully armed and operational vineyard. Pour at will, Commander. <laughs> So the 2017 Voyageur is a blend that... The Voyageur is basically a flagship red blend for Alexis Bailey Vineyard. This particular one, or I guess every year it's blended from Marcel Foch, Lyon Millot, and Frontenac, and we'll talk about those grapes all in a little bit. If you would be so kind, James, to read the label. What, me? Yeah. Unless Megan would like to. Okay. Oh, all right. I'll do it again. Yeah, and I'll try not to again. add anything unnecessary to the reading. <laughs> yes, please don't. <coughs> Voyageur by Alexis Bailey Vineyard. Voyageur is a timeless masterpiece of devotion and craft. Refined over generations by our winemaking family with respect for nature and winemaking traditions. Its bold, opulent fruit has rich overtones of oak and vanilla that match well with equally robust foods. Drink now to experience its soft charm or cellar for two to three years to enjoy astounding complexity. Mm. Blended from our three noble varieties, Maréchal Foch, Léon Melot, and Frontenac. That sounded German. Anyway, there you go. So this particular wine is named after a group of people that were important in the history of the Great Lakes region. French Canadians who were engaged in the transporting of furs uh, by canoes during the fur trade years. It also uh, applies to different places and times. They were often regarded as legendary, especially in French Canada. There are heroes celebrated in folklore and music. And for reasons of uh, promised celebrity status and wealth, the position of voyageur was very coveted. To read from Wikipedia, an excerpt here by James H. Baker was once told by an unnamed retired voyageur, quote, I could carry, paddle, and walk, and sing with every man I ever saw. I have been 24 years a canoe man and 41 years in service. No portage was ever too long for me. 50 songs could I sing. I have saved the lives of 10 voyagers. I've had 12 wives and 6 running dogs. I spent all my money in pleasure. Ah, were I went young again, I would spend my life the same way over. There is no life so happy as a voyager's life. I really dig the nose of this. Me too. It smells to me like 
fresh sourdough bread. Yes! Yeah. Like sourdough bread with a little bit of like cherry, blackberry, yeah. black currant. It's like if you had the wine with the bread, like fresh out of the oven. Like it makes me think of the one at, at um, um, it, uh, California Adventure. Across I've not from, tried it. So across from Disneyland in the park, they have the, I think it's the San Francisco brand or something like that. Like. I don't know, but they actually like have a little tour that you can go through and kind of like see how it's made and all that, and they make it fresh right there. Oh my god, you just buy loaves of it. It's so stupidly delicious. That's what ma- this makes me think of. Like, yeah, I had a nose. nice glass of wine with that, but it, yeah, it's got this like wine, like all the berries. I almost got like, a little bit of beef those. in there, just a hint of beef. Yeah, smoky meat. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like meat. Like, yeah, this, oh, damn it. This is. This need, is like a French dip smells, sandwich with this. Yeah. <laughs> this smells promising. Yeah. This is... I, I always love how I see fancy-ass Psalms poo-poo hybrid wines and say, You can't make good wines from hybrids. And uh, in this podcast series alone, I've had at least two wines before this one yeah. that were made from hybrid varietals that were like, holy fucking shit good. Yeah. I'm getting like rosemary on it now. Too. Yeah, like, rosemary. This wine. This is like a beef stew. This is like the ideal accompaniment to a beef stew from the bouquet alone. Mm-hmm. Which makes oh sense. God. I mean, the voyagers would be traveling. This could be a good yeah. wine for a voyager meal. Um, obviously, they didn't have these grapes back then. Um, but I, I think rosemary sourdough, um, smoked meat, sherry, mm-hmm. blackberry, black currant. Plum. This is a yeah, wine. Holy crap, the color the on this color is like is gorgeous. Dark black garnet almost. Mm-hmm. And a lighter garnet around the rim. This is a beautiful wine. Yeah, it is. Try it. Not that legs mean anything, but there there are some legs here. Um, legs and wine really don't tell you much of anything other than like legs on a person, i.e. how fast they run away. Oh my away. god, drink it. Holy shit. Just stop. Oh my god. Fuck me. Oh. I should have gotten more than one bottle of this. Oh, man. Holy shit. That is magical. This is just the most wonderfully luscious, hearty thing I've ever tasted in recent memory. Like, I mean, honestly, blind, I would absolutely put this somewhere in France. Like yeah. Probably Burgundy. Honestly, this makes me think of Burgundy or yeah. or um Chinon. Chinon. This reminds me so much of a good classic Chinon. I can see that too. As I scream so loud that Oh my god. I ruined the recording. I oh. think this wine is worth screaming about, actually. Mm. Holy I am just, shit. I'm blown away over here. Hmm. I just this want to nice become beef one of the stew. top five wines of the podcast so far. Oh my god. Holy shit! That is just. <laughs> oh, Reuben, you've missed it. Mm. Fuck! Oh, pardon my language. No, 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 no! It's a fuck of ecstasy and appreciation. It's welcome. This is like sex, except I'm having it. Yeah. <laughs> During Lent, nonetheless. <laughs> as of this recording. It's like, is it still Lent? Uh, yeah, for, for us Orthodox people. Again, this is a beefy, hearty wine. It it matches its name perfectly. It's just the kind of yeah. thing a voyageur would drink, especially 
insofar as voyageurs were French extraction and they probably loved their wine. Yeah, this with like a hearty, simple beef stew with veggies. Or some beef wellington. Oh, oh, don't even go. Oh, <laughs> beef wellington. Oh feel, my god. I'm, I'm sounding like Brad Pitt at the end of seven. Oh, oh, oh. What's in the box? What's in the stew? Oh my god, nobody's. Wait. Oh, diff- this vintage specifically. This was the 17? Okay. Yeah. So this hasn't been re light, light to medium tannins. Those tannins build up right, to a crescendo. Right, right. Uh, really nice acidity. Deep mm-hmm. cherry black going on in there. Mm. Yeah, this is uh, definitely one of the top five vines oh, in the podcast. Oh, this is a beauty. This is an absolute gem of a wine. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to actually have to buy... This, I think, is the first one of the podcast that I say, wow, I need to buy a case of this. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys want to go in with a case of yeah. this with me? I may have to. I'd do it. Okay. Let me see. Yeah, it's. All, I mean, on Vivino, it's all... The lowest rating it got was a three-star, which I think was one person who's obviously a wrong. sweet wine drinker. <laughs> what do probably. they say? Um, what, does the, what does this fool say? <laughs> Mm. Somewhat acidic, more oak aroma than oak flavor. Crisp finish pairs well with brie. However, this is a different vintage that they're talking about. Uh, no one's rated the 17 vintage. That was the 2010 vintage. Um, I, I'm also amused because, yeah, I, I agree. This has more of the oak character on the aroma than the palate. Sure, sure. But, but I don't see that as a fucking problem. No. Mostly it's all three and a half and four stars. There's a few five stars. Yeah, this is a fucking five, five star Five stars. This is fucking fantastic. This is, like I said, and I keep Ugh. fucking saying this, but this is one of the top five, if not the top wine of the podcast so far. Coming from Minnesota. Of all places. Of all places. Well, once upon a time, we were blown away by a New Jersey cab franc, so... No, that was Paul Frankish. Oh, it was Blau Frankish. Yeah, that's right. That was good, too. That was, that's another one of the top five. That was at the same table. Oh, Excellent wines from unexpected quarters. Yeah. Uh, my paycheck comes in Friday. My God. Um, between, you're already going to be in Ireland, right? Yeah. Okay, well, you can pay me back for your sure, share sure, sure. when we get... Uh, there. I'm going to call them and actually see if I can get a case discount. Please do. And we're going to whip up a hellaciously delicious beef stew to go with this. Yeah. Oh, God. oh and it's going to be... We need to look up actual like traditional voyageur recipes. There you go. There you go. Oh, man. Okay, so... Um, I'm, I'm so distracted by the quality of this wine that it's like... This, another, this reminds me also of the Norton a little bit. That was another great, you were not there for that episode. No, sadly. But that was another fantastic wine, too. Yeah, three of the wines that I are, are in my top five for this podcast so far are hybrid varietals. These psalms who are saying, yeah, all hybrid wines are horrible. They're horrible. They're, They're stuck in their ivory towers with their sticks up their ass being paid off by the French, clearly. Holy shit, this is phenomenal. Fuck. That color is just 
That colored you! Holy I shit! can't with this. You could freeze this sod and set it in gold and wear it as fucking jewelry. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it's like garlic cloisonne almost. Like, you expect to see this color in gems in an Anglo-Saxon hoard. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I'm going to be calling them Friday. Yeah. I'll let you know what your third is. Okay. Yeah, I'll have plenty of money, I'm sure, left over after Ireland. I'm not going to buy too much stuff. Except, of course, the Irish wine. But that's Get as other... much Irish wine as you want if you think it's good and you taste it. Because that's going to be a bonus episode for this. It'll, because... be, it'll be Rondo. Um, and the reason why I say that's going to be a bonus episode for, for this podcast is because um, that Irish history is part of the American heritage, among mm-hmm. with every other nationality. And it seems fair that it would that we could cover it, but that's neither here nor there. We'll cover that when we get to it. It'll be fun. But, uh, but this, enough, enough. This this is just incredible. enough uh, this, orgasmic sounds. Let's talk about these three grapes. I'm going to start. Uh, we're going to go in alphabetical order. I don't know the percentage of this blend, uh, so we're going to start with Frontenac. Um. Frontenac, uh, according to the Big Red Book. <coughs> Sorry, I need to do this in Byzantine chant. <coughs> Frontenac, successful cold hardy American hybrid, thriving particularly in its home state of Minnesota. Bred in 1978 by Peter Hempstead, James Luby, and Patrick Pierquet at the University of Minnesota, Frontenac is a hybrid of Lando Noir and Vitus Riparius Lecture number 89. Where, holy shit, there's a whole huge, long uh, genetic history. Uh, ye- suffice to say, complex French-American hybrid. Um, there's also Frontenac Gris and Frontenac Blanc, which are color mutations. Um, which I'm hoping to uh, cover in later episodes of oh, this podcast. it's a Frankenvine. You can't seriously appreciate something so perverse. <laughs> yeah, uh, if this wine was a woman, I'd sleep with it. So would I. Mm. The Bride of Frankenstein was kind of sexually attractive. You said sleep with it. Mm. I mean, I, I might this... snuggle up with this bottle tonight. Shit. Like, if this was a woman, I'd sleep with it. But... Oh, it's kind of a Sherry Moon zombie, right. yeah. living dead girl hybrid Franken chick thing. Anyway. Uh, so, anyway, you've got Frontenac Gris, which is color mutation, Frontenac Blanc, which is color mutation. So this particular grape was selected specifically in 1983 and first released in 1996. So it was part of a first new wave of cultivar introductions of grapes out, uh, coming out of the University of Minnesota. Uh, so this is an indigenous grape to Minnesota, which I think is really interesting. Oh my God. Uh, 116 acres in Minnesota. Winter resilience and good yields. Allied with better quality than most hybrids in absence of Foxy flavor, according to Jancis Robinson. Uh, productive, vigorous, cold, hardy. Good all-around disease resistance, especially immune from downy mildew. Uh, highly susceptible to foliar phylloxera infestation. Loose bunches of small to medium-sized berries that can attain high levels of sugar and acidity. Moderately early budding and mid-ripening. I mean... Uh, it's also been grown in... Uh, not just Minnesota, but also Iowa, Illinois, North Dakota, Montana, South Dakota. Ironically enough, Prairie Berry makes a, a, a Frontenac. And also Quebec. Uh, Megan, if you could read. Uh, Lyon Millet. 
Or Leon Milo, sorry. However. French hybrid producing deeply colored reds, popular in regions with short growing seasons. Oh, there's a lot. Um, origins and parentage. Complex hybrid obtained in 1911 by Eugene Kuhlman in Colmar, Alsace. Um, by crossing Mil- Millerdet? A Grasse? What, what, whatever this is. Millerdet de Grasset. Yeah, 101-14 OP words uh, with gold Riesling. Not familiar with that grape at all. What? Where whatever that long one was, Millerdet is a... S- a sulfling of Vitis riparia and Vitis rupestris? Crossed what is a sulfling? Generally used yeah, as a rootstock. Those little creatures in the dark crystal that were getting shaped. I thought those were gelflings. <laughs> what the fuck? I wish Gary was here for this one. He would know. The variety was named in honor of Leon Milo, um, president of the Societe Vaudienne. Va- <laughs> Daviditiculture and commercialized in 1921. So this is probably the oldest grape in this grouping uh, of three. And French origin, uh, French French hybrid of, of American stock. Viticultural characteristics, uh, early budding and very ripe, very early ripening, thus a short ripening season. Vigorous and needs to be pruned long. Good overall disease resistance. That's good. Huh. Where else is it Let's being grown? Let's see. Uh, Wait, Denmark? Leomilo's popularity in parts of France, such as Alsace, uh, was mainly due to its ability to add color to pale reds, though it has received greater attention in the last 30 years from those looking for disease-resistant varieties that require less fungicide. Fungicide? Um, Let's see. Mentioned Switzerland, Denmark, and Sweden. Um, Its early ripening is also appreciated in U.S. Midwest states, including Illinois. (laughs) Oh. Uh-huh. Iowa, Nebraska. Um, let's see. Let's go so in Iowa. It's got oh, so in Illinois, fifteen acres. Iowa, fourteen acres. Nebraska, precisely five hundred and twenty-eight vines in two thousand six. Apparently, <laughs> literally, word for word, what that says. Okay. <laughs> like, Thank you, Jensen's Robinson. Yes. It is also planted to a limited extent in New York State and as far north as Nova Scotia in Canada. Uh, varietal wines tend to be deeply colored and are produced by, among others, Kuka? Kuka? I don't know. Kuka Lake in New York, Fing- New York's Finger Lakes region, China Bend in Washington State, and Jewel Town in New Hampshire. Uh, I will say that maybe that's where we're getting those colors from this grape. Probably. Um, Having never had, well, I've had uh, a full Frontenac before, but I don't remember much about it. Okay, so these are all French-American hybrids. Yes. Okay, so none of them, wait, I thought you said one of the one was, oh, one of the parents was native to Minnesota, or? So it's technically a French-American complex hybrid, because part of its parentage of uh, the Frontenac. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, of the Marcel Faux. Uh, no, of the... The first one that you the were The Frontenac, yeah. Because yeah, you said something about it was native to Minnesota. Well, not native native, but made and, and bred and produced there. Oh, okay. Uh, at, out of the University of uh, Minnesota program, mm. um, which I'll talk more about in a moment. But if you would be so kind as to read about Marcel <laughs> Fauche. 
Very well, sir. All right, and now the Maréchal Faux grape, which is a French hybrid that has been very successful in the colder climes of the U.S. and Canada. Its origins and parentage, it's a complex hybrid obtained in 1911 by Eugène Coulman in Colmar by crossing Millardet at Grasset uh, with Gold Riesling. So that sounds like what we just talked about with the Leon Millet below, right? Yeah. So that's part of that same heritage, then, right? Yeah. among other things. Huh. Uh, it's a selfling, no dark crystal references. It's a selfling of uh, Vetus Riparia and Vetus Repressus. That's a cross. It's uh, first commercialized in 1921. This variety was named in honor of Maréchal Ferdinand Foch, a general in the French army during the First World War who was made Maréchal de France in 1918. It, it, it talks about other hypotheses. Uh, other people think that it's a Oberlin Noir, uh, Pinot Noir hybrid. Or other people believe an Oberlin Noir Knipperle hybrid, or even an Oberlin Noir Gold Riesling hybrid. Uh, viticultural characteristics it is vigorous and needs to be pruned long, early ripening, and good winter hardiness. Small berries and bunches that do attract the birds. Uh, where it's grown, Maréchal Foch is well suited to cold climates and is widely planted in Canada and the eastern and midwestern United States. Wines may be, deep, may be deeply colored and quite tannic, hmm. sometimes on the herbaceous side or slightly smoky, okay. but they avoid the foxy character of some hybrids that have American species in their pedigree. Uh, for lighter styles, carbonic maceration is often used, but the variety can also be aged in oak for a more sturdy result. I think that certainly is what happened here. Yeah. Uh, European plantings, relatively small. It's a new world great. You do have uh, 13 hectares or 32 acres in France as of 19, as, excuse me, 2008. Though it was once quite widely planted in the Loire. Oh. And that kind of makes me think of why it reminded you of a Chenon. Chenon yeah. And then 12 hectares or 30 acres in Switzerland in 2009, mainly in the eastern German-speaking part of the country. Uh, this variety was introduced to Canada in the late 1940s, and there are now 171 acres or 69 hectares in Ontario. Uh, as of 2006, 122 acres or 49 hectares in British Columbia as of 2008, and small areas in Nova Scotia and Quebec, where it is most likely, where, excuse me, where it is the most widely planted red variety. Huh. Uh, Iowa has 93 acres, 38 hectares, 2006. Illinois, 80 acres, 32 hectares as of 2007. And uh, those two states have the most significant plantings in the United States Midwest, but its most popular and successful second home is New York State, where there were 144 acres, 58 hectares in 2006. Also... Significant plantings in Oregon, and producers of varietal wines include Kitling Ridge from the Niagara Escarpment in Ontario, Prejean, uh, the Finger Lakes, New York, and Wollersheim in Wisconsin, and Five Trails in Nebraska. Oh. So Selfling, according to my research, as I channeled the Magic School Bus here, uh, is a plant created by one vine variety crossed to itself. So you breed it with itself. Um, 
I can't read the rest of it because all the other parts of the definition are locked behind paywalls. Uh, either at the Oxford Companion to Wine, uh, GenesisRobinson.com, uh, or the Oxford Dictionary website, which is very sad. Um, <laughs> but it makes sense that it wouldn't necessarily be a, a, a tr- often a successful part because um, if you're reading something to yourself, um, so to speak, you're going to have uh, you know a lot of recessive genes expressed, which... Sometimes maybe you want, but other times that doesn't produce uh, disease resistance. Uh, at least that's my guess for what the rest of the definition is trying to say. Um, Megan has brought us some barbecue seasoned beef sticks to, to pair with this. Beefy goodness. I just feel like it might work. Uh, I don't see why it wouldn't. That's going to be hard not to finish this bottle. Yeah. Um, but we need to not finish it because otherwise I will not have a picture of it. You just fill it up with Welch's grape. No. <laughs> Heresy. <laughs> Burn the witch. I almost can't even taste them. Yeah. They get like a hint of it. It's good, but I still want that rich, creamy beef stew. Yeah. yeah. Or a really hearty chili. Yeah. Maybe a venison chili, too, could work. Which actually would make more sense than beef, um, if you're out roughing it. Voyagers, yes. You didn't have that. Yeah. We need to acquire some venison. Or... Have it at, um... I have a bolt-action rifle. Let's go up in the mountains. I just don't know how to skin them and clean them. So, uh... (laughs) That was a near disaster, for those of you listening. Cody is clutching his oh chest, a near state of cardiac arrest. Me so too. is Megan. Megan as well. Oh my god. We almost lost the bottle. Oh my and god. my bowels are just oh. a little bit queasy oh after having I witnessed that. So the history of Minnesota wine. Uh, according to uh, Wines of Eastern North America by Hudson Cattell, uh, winemaking in Minnesota has always been a struggle to find grapes that would survive in the harsh winters and also make a palatable wine. The modern history of wine in Minnesota began in 1943 when Elmer Swenson started to breed grapes in Oskola, Wisconsin. Swenson had taken an interest in grapes from his grandfather and was further encouraged by reading TV Munson's. We need to do an episode focus on Munson uh, at some point. Uh, Foundations of American Grape Culture. In 1965, he took a few of his hybrids to a field day at the University of Minnesota's Horticultural Research Center. In 1969, he became a member of its staff. In 1977, Swenson and the University of Minnesota released Edelweiss and Swenson Red, the first of many named Swenson's crosses that were to prove useful in winemaking. Several vineyards were planted in Minnesota in the early 1970s, experimenting with French hybrid varietals and Swenson crosses. In 1975, the Minnesota's Grape Growers Association was established. The first winery to open was David McGregor's Lake Sylvia Vineyard Maple Lake, 1976, but that apparently later closed. Uh, 1977, David Bailey opened the second winery in Hastings, Alexis Bailey Vineyards. He named uh, the winery after an ancestor who founded the town of Hastings. I don't know if that's Hastings, England, or Hastings, Minnesota. I'm guessing Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota passed a farm winery law in 1980. The license fee was reduced from $500 to $25 for licensing fee. Holy crap. Taxes were cut on in-state wineries in an upper limit of 50,000 gallons was placed in wine production. Breeding program at the University of Minnesota was run by Peter R. Hempstead starting in 1988. Frontenac, 
uh, and La Crescent, which is uh, either of you were there for the La Crescent Amber Wine from Iapetus, which is the only other winery I think that uh, produced a wine that I want a case of uh, from this podcast so far. Um, that's neither here nor there. They were the first of a number of important new grape varieties released into this program. Minnesota has two AVAs, including the, what I think is the largest AVA in the country, the Upper Mississippi River Valley AVA, and I believe that this is from that AVA, which covers a total of 29,914 square miles, uh, located along the Upper Mississippi River, and tributaries in northwest Illinois, northeast Iowa, southeast Minnesota, and southwest Wisconsin. July 22nd, 2009 was the certification date. Largest AVA in the United States. This AVA encompasses an area 50 times larger than all of the Bordeaux wine regions in France. Holy shit snacks. Well, yeah. Um, Yep, this is in... um, Alexis Bailey Vineyard and Winery is located in this AVA. There is also the Alexandria Lakes AVA, and it was petitioned by the owners of Carlos Creek Winery. Uh, which is located near the city of Alexandria in the state of Minnesota. And hot damn, this wine is phenomenal. That it is. Yeah, I'm... I love it on its own, and pairing it with one of the aforementioned recipes we were talking about, yeah. I mean... Oh. And I will say that this is, like, literally the first one where I've openly said, holy crap, I need to get actually a case of this. Yeah, this is... Ooh. Yeah. If you're having a multi-course meal, a multi-course dinner, this is the centerpiece wine with the centerpiece meal. Agreed. Agreed. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Negative. Man. So I looked I looked this place up on Facebook so that I could tag them in the post that I'm making. And their slogan of sorts... I don't. I didn't even know you could do that on Facebook. It literally says where the grapes can suffer. <laughs> That's amazing. And they suffer for a noble purpose. Amen. Truly. God. To suffering. To suffering. Make America Grape Delicious Again. Delicious suffering. Cheers. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at make america grape podcast at gmail.com on instagram at, at the az wine monk or on twitter at cv burkett be sure to also check out our website make america grape again podcast.com